Well, like I said earlier, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're just going to have a great morning of um, unpacking our fourth core value. Before we do, uh, we talked about one of our values here is celebrating stories and celebrating God's story and how God's working in our lives. And um, since it's Facebook official, I can now tell you that James and Belle are pregnant. And so we want to celebrate that amazing story. Uh, they've been praying for this for a long time, and so God has been honored their prayers and answering their prayers, and so uh, we want to continue to pray for Belle and, and, and little baby Alan as, uh, they, uh, as they continue to grow, and, uh, and so just be with them, please, but we want to celebrate them. So if you give them a pat on the back or a big hug today or a high five or whatever, um, just to celebrate what's going on in their lives. So for the past few weeks, uh, like I said, we've been unpacking or exploring our five core values of Warehouse Church. These are the five things, the five uh, non-negotiable values that we hold true, the things that we believe are so important, that these are the things that we won't budge on. These are the things that uh, we believe are really, really important in this teaching series that we're calling, This Is Us, The Core of Who We Are. So that's why we call them core values, because it's really these five things are the core of who we are as a church. And and the reason that uh, Warehouse Church exists is so that more people would experience transforming relationships through Jesus, uh, because they met Jesus, because you met Jesus. You're being transformed uh, as you come and you uh, do life with us here at Warehouse Church. And, and here's what we imagine. We imagine a church where hundreds more people come and say yes to Jesus, where hundreds of more people join the mission of Warehouse Church and bring a friend and choose community and live generously. Like that's, that's our hopes and our dreams. And, and this is us. This is who we are. And one of those things is that we really want people to choose community. And, and I, I reemphasize that because small groups start today. And uh, so this week, beginning today, uh, small groups are going to be popping up around uh, Floyd County and Johnson County. And I just want to say, if you have not yet signed up for a small group, let me just tell you, you need to. Like, do it today. Don't leave here today without having a small group. And uh, you can sign up uh, right outside, the when you right before you leave the doors, uh, as you exit the glass doors. Um, there's sign-up sheets right there on the windows, and we invite you to sign up. Find a group that meets your needs, uh, because we find value in that. And that's part of growing on purpose, is getting involved in a small group. And so today, though, I want us to explore our fourth core value, which is Think Legacy. And what does that mean? What does that look like to think legacy? And the, tr the truth is this. The reality and the truth is that our church is only as strong as the faith of the next generation. Just think about that for a minute. Our church is only as strong as the faith of the next generation. And so we want to live our faith out loud and to make an impact on the generations that are coming up behind us. And my faith, if I, I thought about it this week, and my faith was forged through my relationships as a young boy and as a teenager. The people that uh, invested in me, that's where I got my faith from. And I have people like my parents and my youth pastors and my small group leaders to thank for my faith. And, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the people that invested in me, people like Carl Petaway, who was my youth pastor, who would spend time with me after school, listening to me share my struggles. I would, uh, the church was just a couple blocks from my school, and my, I would walk from school to the church, and Carl was there, and he would let me sit down. He always had a space for me in his office to sit down and to share the struggles that I was dealing with as a middle schooler. I thought about uh, Larry Bartow, my Sunday school teacher, and then also uh, continues to this day to be my mentor, who invested and continues to invest countless hours pouring into me and sharing God's wisdom with me. 
I thought about my mom and my dad who modeled for me what a godly marriage looked like and taught me how to love others and taught me how to forgive others. I thought about pastors in my life, pastors like John Brackman and Wayne Speakman and Clint Logan, who invested in me as a young boy and as a teenager and a young man, and who made themselves available to me whenever I needed help. I thought about, you know, the day, the night that my dad died, uh, I was living in Tampa and my family was living on the other side of Orlando. Uh, I was finishing school at high school as a senior and, and Wayne Speakman was my pastor. And he showed up at the house that I was staying at at midnight. And he and his wife drove me that night all the way from Tampa to Orlando throughout the night. And the whole journey there, he was just pouring into me and loving on me and, and walking with me through this crazy time that I just lost my dad. And, I, I, and, and that left a lasting impression on me. So I think of the pastors in my life. These were all people, all people that knew the importance of this idea of thinking legacy. And, and they took the time, time that they probably didn't even have to invest in me and to mold, in, mold me and to shape me into the man that I am today. And I bet there's people in your life that you can remember, maybe a youth pastor, a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher, a mom, a dad, an aunt or an uncle or someone who also had this idea of legacy and poured their life into you. You know, in the Great Commission, uh, Jesus commanded his disciples, he commanded the church to take the gospel to all the nations. And you and I, we have to remember that, that, not only, that not only must the gospel traveled outward to the ends of the earth, but it almost must also travel down through time from generation to generation to generation. That when Jesus made that commission, he wasn't just talking about the present generation. He wasn't just saying, listen, my disciples, I want you to spread my word to everyone. He wasn't just talking about that generation, but he was talking about passing it on from one generation to the next, from generation to generation. And in our scripture this morning, in Psalm chapter 78, if you have your Bibles or the YouVersion Bible app, you might want to reopen it up to that. Uh, the, the author, Asaph, he calls for God's people. He makes a call on the church, on God's people to teach the wonders of God to each successive generation so that they would also, the generations to come, would also put their faith in God. And so I want to read this passage to you or with you this morning, and then we're going to unpack it. But let's, right now, let's just start uh, by reading it together. Again, Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known and things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, 
whose spirits were not faithful to him. I love what Asaph has to say to us because I think it's so critical. I think it's so critical that every generation is faithful with the task of thinking legacy. And so that each generation will do what Asaph said in verse 4. They will set their hopes in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You see, Psalm 78 is a blueprint for God's grand method for faith replication throughout the generations. And in our passage today, the Lord gives us through Asaph, gives us, I believe, four principles that we can take to heart for thinking legacy. And let me just share those with you. The first one is this. The first principle I think that we need to understand if we are going to think legacy is we got to teach the next generation God's greatness. We have to teach the next generation all about God's grace, greatness. The psalmist first gets our attention, though. Asaph begins uh, this, this, uh, this calling on our lives in verse 1 when he says, My people, he says, hear my teaching. He says, listen to the words of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, watch my lips, right? Like my mom, anytime she was angry with me, she would like say, she would look at me real close, get real close to me. She'd say, watch my lips. I was like, oh boy, like I better pay attention to what's about to happen. And that's what Asaph's doing. He's not angry, but he's like, listen, he's like, don't touch the channel. He's like, pay attention because what I'm about to tell you is really important stuff. And then, and then he goes on and he begins to unpack these principles for thinking legacy or for spreading the, the good news and God, about God's greatness from this generation to the next generation to the generation after that. And then the first principle he emphasizes that you and I are to pass on to the generations to come all things about God's greatness. Look at verse four again. He says this, he says, we will not hide them from their descendants, we will tell the next generation what? The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. In other words, Asaph's saying, listen, y'all, well, if we're gonna think legacy, we gotta pass on all the good news about God's greatness. We gotta tell our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, so that they'll tell their children and their great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. We've gotta tell them about God's greatness. And how do we do that? Like, how do we pass on the greatness to the, God's greatness to the next generation? Well, I believe that there really are four um, God-sized stories that I think that we got to get in the habit of sharing with the next generation. Like, we've just got to get in the habit of being storytellers. But there's some stories, some really particular stories that we've got to get in the habit of telling others. And the first one is we got to share stories um, that show God's wisdom, We've got to share stories with our children, with the neighborhood kids, with our, with our nephews, with our nieces. We've got to share these stories that reveal God's wisdom. Verse 2 and 3, Asaph says, I will open up my mouth. He's like, I'll open up my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things that we've heard and known, things that our ancestors have told us. And, and some of these things that he's talking about are these wise sayings, Right? Like these wise sayings that, that he grew up hearing uh, his descendants tell them. And, and we have wise sayings that are local just to this area. You have sayings that, that other regions of the world don't hear. And, uh, and so he's talking about these, wild, these wise sayings. Uh, sometimes we call it farmer's wisdom or, or we call it proverbs that farmers share. Uh, and parents, 
Uh, you have this uh, awesome opportunity to talk about your past and to use your past to instruct your children in the future. And, and it's more than just stories about how you walk to school both ways uphill in the snow. Like it's more than those kind of stories. Uh, there is wisdom to be found in, the, in our family stories that we tell. And I love it when mom, uh, she'll share stories with me of her childhood. She'll share, share stories with me of how she interacted with her parents. And as she does, she's passing along wisdom. Wisdom of how I can become a better parent or a better human being. And, and so many of these stories that we pass on from one generation to the next are stories that come from God's word. And we're able to share God's wisdom by reading the wisdom books in the Old Testament. Listen, you can't share God's wisdom if you're not reading God's wisdom. So let me invite you to read the wisdom that we find in, in books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, books in the New Testament like James has so much wisdom to share with us. And we've got to share the wisdom of God with the generations that are in front of us. Like we just got to get in the habit of sharing God's wisdom. I think the second principle that Asaph shares with us is that we got to share stories of God's work. Uh, not only do we share stories of God's wisdom, but we got to get, uh, we got to be better at sharing the stories of how God's been working in our lives. Listen, there are all kinds of stories about how God works in the Old Testament and New Testament. And, and our relationships with the next generation, we can even go beyond biblical stories like we can tell them about Noah and we can tell them about Jacob and we can tell them about Jesus and how he, he died on the cross and rose from the grave, but we can also tell personal stories of how God's been at work in our lives and how God has done things in our lives. We can share our circumstances with, with the generations in front of us of where we saw God at work in our lives and the lives of those who are close to us. And just like the Israelites, they were often reminded of stories like when God parted the Red Sea. They were often reminded of how God provided manna for them in the wilderness and how, uh, and, and how he provided a new land that he promised for them. And, and we, have, we have stories too that we can share, stories of how God worked in each of our lives. And so we've got to get in the habit of sharing those stories because here's some truth. God is at work in your life. He's doing things in your life. And whether it is the way that God provided for you, or maybe it's the way that God revealed a new attitude for you, we all have stories to share of how God has done something in our lives. And we need to get in the habit of telling other people those stories. And we all have stories um, uh, you know, of, of his praiseworthy deeds. That's what Asaph says. He says, tell the stories of God's praiseworthy deeds. Like, what's praiseworthy? What do you have that God's done that you can be like, yay God? I call them yay God stories. Like, and we should be willing to share yay God stories. Share them with your coworkers. Share them with your neighborhood kids. Share them with your, your kids. Share them with your aunts and your uncles. Share these yay God moments where God has done some awesome things in your life. We've got to share those stories. Another story we have to share is we have to share stories of God's power. Yes, God is at work in our lives, but we've also got to get in the habit of sharing God's power because there are stories uh, in the Bible full of stories of how nothing is outside of the power of God. And God has the power to provide a path for people, a new path for people. He has the power to see us through difficult moments in our lives. And when we studied Daniel, what did we say? Every week we said, God is in control. 
He is above all things. Nothing is too hard for him. So we share those life stories of how God was, God's power was present in our lives. So we need to pass those stories on to the generations that are coming up. Fourth, we need to share stories of God's miracles. Not only is God all powerful, but he is a God of miracles. And the Bible is full of miraculous stories. And I would even say to you today that God still does miracles today. He has done miracles in our lives. He's done miracles in our family's lives. And we need to be sharing with the next generation the miraculous things that God has done. How he's healed cancer. How he's provided a job. How he's restored a relationship. How he has removed an addiction. We need to share those stories And we must share these stories with every person that will listen because God is still a God of miracles. And just as it was the responsibility of the the generation before us, listen, it's our responsibility to teach our children and our grandchildren and our neighbor's kids and so on the greatness of who God is. It's our responsibility to do that. I love a, a quote Brenton Akers said, man, that was a great message. And he's like, I, I have a quote that I just think went along perfect with it. And I wanted to share that quote with you. It says, what our generation finds optional, the next generation will find unnecessary. Think about that for a minute. What our generation finds optional, our kids will find unnecessary. At church, it's optional. Guess what? Next generation, I don't need to go to church. What this generation finds is optional, the next generation will find as unnecessary. So we need to be better at telling the story of God's greatness. The second principle that Asaph teaches us is this, uh, that we must teach the next generation God's word. This one is so important. We've got to get in the habit of teaching the word of God to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren we live in a world of moral confusion. We live in a world where God's word, uh, where, where, God, where, where uh, everybody is like, can define truth on their own and we need God's word. We, not, we need God's word to be our, our guide, to be our compass through life. And if we need it, so much more does the generation coming after us need God's word. And the psalmist tells us in verses five and six, Asaph says, He decreed, God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. I love this, that Asaph had this view of thinking legacy. He was thinking not about just the generation ahead of him, but he was thinking four generations ahead of him. He's like, listen, God has given us his word And he's given us his word, and we have to pass that on, not just to the next generation, but to the generation after that, and the generation after that, and the generation after that. And so he's all about passing on God's word from one generation to the next. And listen, if you're a grandparent in here, let me just say to you, your spiritual assignment is not over when your children leave the house. I know it's like, whew, I don't have to pay for them anymore. They're off the payroll. But your, your responsibility is not done. Your spiritual assignment is still uh, going on when your children are grown because you have the job of influencing your grandkids and your great-grandkids as well. 
Like we all should be teaching the word of God to the generations that are ahead of us. And it's not always easy, I get it. It's not always easy to teach God's word. And sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, so I can't teach it. And we just clam up. We're like, I can't teach the word of God because I don't know everything there is to know. I don't have a seminary degree. I didn't go to school for it, so I can't teach it. But remember that the teacher most always learns from the st- more from teaching the student. That when you teach others, guess what? You learn. You learn as you teach. So don't ever use the excuse that I don't know enough. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not like so-and-so. I can't teach the word of God. You need to get in the habit of teaching the word of God to the generations that are ahead of you. And sometimes we even say this. We say, listen, I don't have time for that. Like, I'm busy. My life is crazy right now. I got a lot going on. I don't have time. And and so often our lack of time or our supposed lack of time hinders our teaching the word of God to the next generation. And so we, we make time, though, for what's important. I mean, let's just be real. We make time for what's important. If we want to go to the football game, we make time for that. If we want to uh, watch that TV show, we make time for that. We make time for the things that are important to us. And if we can make time for what's important, guess what? This task is one of the most important things we can do, teaching the word of God to the next generation. So we must teach the word of God. And here's the bonus, and I love this. The bonus is that the next generation, if you think about it, They can teach you a few things too. The next generation can teach you a few things about the word of God. And when we learn from the next generation, guess what? They get excited. They get excited about learning more. They're like, I just showed my parents something. I'm gonna go learn something else. And they get excited about learning more about who God is when they teach us something. So never be afraid to say, you know what? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Thank you for teaching me that because that just excites them to learn more. So we need to get in the habit of teaching the next generation to know the word of God. And and then the psalmist goes on in the beginning of verse seven and says, when that happens, it says, then they will put their trust in God. They will put their trust in God. And so the third principle is this, that we must teach the next generation to trust God. We gotta teach them to trust God. And we do this, how do we do that? We do it by trusting God ourselves, by modeling for the next generation what it looks like to trust God, that when life gets sideways in our lives, and listen, life gets sideways, things happen, there's bad diagnoses, relationships fall apart, accidents happen, there's things that cause our lives to get sideways. And listen, your kids, they're watching, and they're watching how you respond when life gets sideways. And we have an awesome opportunity to teach them to trust God in the midst of the chaos, and so we, tr- we teach them by trusting God ourselves, but also by sharing stories of God's faithfulness to them. Like when they're experiencing something in their life, and a, a, a trial, or they're, they're, they're struggling, there's a circumstance going on, we have an opportunity to say, you know what? I had a similar circumstance when I was your age, but here's how I got through it. I trusted God. I didn't know how things were going to turn out, but I trusted that God would watch over me in the midst of it. And so we teach them to trust God by sharing our stories of how we could trust God and how we did it. You know, these verses that we're reading tell of how Israel forgot about the Lord's work. Like Asaph is just like, I can't believe you all forgot. 
And, and I wonder, how did they forget? Like, how did they forget? Because God had done so many amazing things. He was so faithful. I mean, he did miracles, like, again, like parting the Red Sea, uh, like providing manna, like fulfilling the, the promise of the promised land, and so much more. And yet, they forgot about God's faithfulness. And we do the same thing. Like, we get so busy, and we get distracted, and we get caught up in our own circumstances that we forget how God has been faithful in our lives. You know, when God parted, uh, he didn't just part the Red Sea, but later on he parted the Jordan River. And so Jacob, who, uh, uh, who had taken over, over um, I'm sorry, Joshua, who had taken over for Moses and was leading people into uh, the promised land. And, and they were, they were uh, in front of this river and, and the river was so big and they could not pass. And so what did God do is he parted the river so that all the people of God could cross over into the promised land. And Joshua was so taken back and did not want to forget this moment of God's faithfulness in his life that he set up these stones to commemorate, to remember what God had done, to remember this mighty act of God's faithfulness so that not only would he not forget, but future generations would remember what God did on that day on the riverbanks of the Jordan River. And so when you imagine generations later, what does dad, what does those rocks piled up? What does that mean? Oh, let me tell you about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you how God was faithful to his people when he parted the, the river so that we could cross over into the promised land. And you know, we, we get so busy and I wonder, what are we doing to commemorate God's mighty works in our lives? Like, what are you doing to remind yourself of God's faithfulness and how he's been faithful? And I, I would just think of a few ideas, like, just like we celebrate our birthdays, why not celebrate our day that we said yes to Jesus, our new birth birthday? Like, what would it look like to get your family together and say, hey, today's a special day. We're going to celebrate it with a special meal. This is the day that I gave my life to Jesus, and I want to celebrate that, and I want to remember that, and I want to remember God's faithfulness ever since that day. So we're celebrating. Maybe you get a cake. Maybe you do something else. Maybe you pile some rocks in your, uh, on, on, a, on, on a desk somewhere in your house and as a mem as a, to remind yourself of God's faithfulness, but, but make a big deal about it. Or maybe we'd make a big deal about Christmas and not because of Santa Claus, but we make a big deal about Jesus coming and, and, and being born in a manger to a, a virgin named Mary. And, and we make a big deal about it. Or Easter, we make a big deal about it. So when our kids ask, why do we get dressed up and why do we go to church on Easter? What's the big deal? We make a big deal about it because we want to remind them of God's faithfulness. So we tell the story of the resurrection, or we tell the story of the birth of Jesus, or we tell the story of our new birth as we celebrate a special day where we said yes to Jesus. And so I just want to invite you, get creative and remembering how you're going to remember God's faithfulness in your life. And if you'll come up with some kind of creative thing, include your family in it so that they're like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we having a special meal? Well, because this is the day that mom or this is the day that dad said yes to Jesus. This is the day that my life was forever changed. And so every year we're going to celebrate with a special meal to remember God's faithfulness. And so we must teach the next generation uh, about God's, um, uh, to trust God. And the final principle is this, that we got to teach the next generation to obey God. 
And this one's such a big deal. We must help the next generation build their own set of convictions. We studied in Daniel. We said that, that Daniel, as a young man, he drew the line in the sand. And he said, I'm not, these are my convictions. These are the things that I hold to be true. And I'm not crossing over this line. Like, these are the non-negotiables in my life. I'm going to obey God no matter what the cost. And we must teach the next generation to draw a line in the sand and teach them to obey God. And the only way we can teach them to obey God is by teaching them God's commandments. And so we must help the next generation to build their own convictions because here's the truth. When our children leave home, we can't make their decisions for them. We're not there on a Friday night with them when they're hanging out with their friends. We're not there on Monday morning when they're making a decision whether to go to class or not. We're not there when they're making big boy or big girl decisions on what job they're gonna do for the rest of their lives. We can only do that when they're home with us. And so we must help them to understand and to obey God before they leave the house. So we have a duty to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our neighbor's kids, our nieces, our nephews, we have a responsibility to teach them to obey God's commandments, to know God's word. And they learn about who God is from us. I mean, that's just the truth and the reality. They learn about God's love from us. They don't learn it on an hour on a Sunday morning. They learn it from watching you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That's where they learn about who God is. And we must model for them obedience, and we must model for them love for God uh, and, and to, the, to these up-and-coming generations. And so let me just ask you, what lessons are you teaching the next generation about God through your life and by the stories that you tell? What are you teaching your grandchildren, your children, your kids' friends about who God is? So we must teach the next generation about God's greatness. We must teach the next generation about God's word. We must teach the next generation to trust God. And we must teach the next generation to obey God. And you see, the stories of faith that we write with our lives, they leave a legacy for future generations. The things that you're doing now is leaving a legacy for the generations to come. And that's a big deal. What you do matters. I'm reading a book right now called Living Forward, and in the book, uh, one of the challenges or the assignments is to, um, to write what you once said at your funeral. Like, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And you write it out now. You write what you want people to say about your funeral, and then you begin to live your life that way. Like, what do you want people to say about your life? How do you want people to remember you? What will your legacy be? Because every one of us, Every one of us leaves a legacy, and every one of us has a role in raising up the next generation. And it's such an impact. You are making an impact on the next generation by the way you live your life and by the stories you tell. And there are some very practical ways that I think that we can live, think legacy here at Warehouse Church. And I want to share some of them with you as we wrap up. But before I do, let me just share some statistics with you to help you to put these um, these, uh, these things that we can do, these practical things that we can do here into perspective. I don't know if you know it or not, but young adults uh, in America, they were asked uh, why they stopped attending church. Why did you stop attending church as a young adult? 34% of them said, well, when I moved to college, I just never got reengaged in church. So 34% of young adults said, I just quit the church because I just didn't, I didn't find another one. When I went off to school, I just didn't take the time. 
And then uh, 32% said that they left the church as a young adult because church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. They left the church because when they walked in the doors, all they felt were that they were with a bunch of hypocrites or they were being judged for who they were. 29% said that they didn't feel connected to the people in the church. They didn't have a Carl Petaway. They didn't have a Larry Barto. They didn't have a Wayne Speakman in their life. So they just didn't feel connected. Like, what was the point? I don't feel connected. And so 29% of them left. And 25% of them said that they left because they disagreed with the church's stance on politics or on social issues. Now, that's some statistics, but I think this one is more important and more sobering for us. And it's this one right here. It's 85% of Americans say that they initially placed their faith and belief in Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. Just think about that for a minute. 85% of Americans say that they initially placed their belief and faith in Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. Here's another one for you. Adults over the age of 19 have a 6% probability of becoming a Christian after the age of 19. That's sobering. Like, that's like scary. And these statistics alone should remind us of the importance of thinking legacy. That's why it's a core value here. Because we're like, man, we can't let that be We can't let that happen. We can't lose a generation. But let me show you what happens if if we don't think legacy is a church. Like what happens if we don't do the things I'm about to share with you? Well, if we don't think legacy, the number one thing is we'll lose the next generation. That the generation that's coming up behind us, they won't be a part of church. We'll lose them. We'll lose them completely. There will be no one to lead our our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren to the Lord. That if we don't think legacy, who's going to lead our great-grandkids to the Lord? There will be no one to teach them God's truth or to model for them what it looks like to obey God. That if we don't think legacy, who's going to partner with our grandkids or our great-grandkids in kids' ministry? Like, who's going to do it if we don't think legacy? Who will lead us in worship up here on stage? Like, if, if we don't think legacy, who's the next Tess? Who's the next Christina? Who's the next Olivia? Who's the next Chandler? If we're not thinking legacy, who will proclaim the word of God to them if we don't think legacy? You see, if we're going to accomplish our mission of seeing more and more people experience transforming relationships through Jesus, we must, not an option, we must think legacy. We've got to do it. So let me give you some practical steps to think in legacy. There's four of them. I encourage you to write them down. The first one is this. First one is to make the next generation a priority in your life. Make the next generation a priority. Statistics show that over 50% of young adults in the church, they left because the church left them while they were young. And so we need to be intentional about thinking legacy. We need to make the next generation a priority. The the generation said that that, uh, the church members felt judgmental and hypocritical that they didn't have people in their life just loving on them and listening to them. They only experienced judgment and hypocrites. They didn't feel connected to the people in their church. 
And so we must put aside, and this is hard for some of us, but we got to start putting aside our own desires. We got to start putting aside our picture of what church should look like. We got to put aside our preferences and our biases and our wants, and we got to start thinking about how we can impact the next generation. And what does that look like on Sunday morning? And what does that look like on Wednesday nights? And what does that look like on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? We've got to make the next generation a priority if we're going to impact them. The second step is this, that we got to become a door holder for kids ministry or student ministry. We need people. We need people who are willing to invest in the generations to come. We need people who are willing to share God's big story with toddlers and preschoolers and elementary kids. We need door holders to model for preteens and teenagers what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. We need door holders to be good listeners for our students who are in a time of chaos in their life and they just want someone to listen and be there with them. We need door holders who are willing to do that. And I wonder, are you one of those people? Are you ready to make uh, leaving a legacy a priority in your life? And are you ready to be a storyteller for kids? Are you ready to be a role model for preteens? Are you ready to be a good listener for students who are in the midst of a crazy time and trying to navigate their way through life. If you are, don't leave today without making sure that you talk to Lori Bricken or you talk to Brenton Akers or talk to me and say, hey, I don't know how or where, but I'm interested in being a door holder in kids ministry or student ministry. Like, sign me up. I want to make a leg, I want to think about legacy and I want to make an impact on generations to come. So we've got to, got to become uh, or invest in our kids' ministry and our student ministry. Number three is this. We've got to invest in the next generation. Now, here's what I'm talking about when I say that. The leadership of Warehouse Church, we see the value uh, in uh, the next generation. And so much that we have a desire to hire a next-gen director that will oversee family ministries. And to do that, in order to do that, we need investors we need investors who are going to invest financially into this and who are willing to increase their giving so that we can hire a person who is highly qualified to oversee our family ministry, to oversee kids and student ministry. And so we need people to step up and invest in the next generation with your finances. And the third step and the final step is this. We all, we all must become God's storytellers. We just got to. Like the Bible is crystal clear. It, there is no wiggle room here. The Bible is crystal clear that we are commissioned, that each and every one of us has a calling on our lives to take the gospel to all the nations. But remember, not only must the gospel travel to the ends of the earth, but it also must travel down through the times from generation to generation to generation. And one of the most powerful ways that you and I can think legacy and the most powerful ways that we can impact future generations is by modeling the Christian life and being God's storytellers, sharing the wisdom of God, sharing the wonders of God, sharing the work of God, and sharing the power of God. We've got to get good at sharing God's greatness with the generations ahead of us. Remember what I said at the beginning. I said these words, and I mean it with all my heart. Our church, Warehouse Church, is only as strong as the faith of the next generation. 
And so we must live our faith out loud to make an impact on the generations to come. And so let me close by just asking you one simple question, and it's on the screen. It's how will you think legacy? How will you think legacy this week? Is it investing in our kids' ministry? Is it signing up to be a door holder? Is it making the next generation a priority in your life, which may mean I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest in my grandkids or my great-grandkids, my nieces, my nephews? What is it? How will you think legacy? Because this is a non-negotiable for who we are. This is at the center, the core of who we are as a church. So it's not going away. It's not. We're always going to be asking for kids ministry door holders. We're always going to be asking for student ministry door holders because we see the value in passing on what we know about God's greatness to the next generation. So what will you do? What part will you play in thinking legacy? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word because your word is true and your word is good and your word is complete. And Father, in your word today, you remind us that we must be intentional about passing on your goodness and your greatness from our generation to the next. And Lord, we haven't been so good at it. Generations behind us haven't done so good at it. But Lord, we have an opportunity right in front of us to make the next generation a priority in our lives, to make time for young people in our lives, to make time for kids in our lives, to make time for students by modeling for them, but also telling them the stories of your faithfulness in our lives and in the Bible. So Lord, my prayer is that your spirit would prick the hearts of every person in this room and that every person in this room would feel convicted to make the next generation a priority in their lives. Lord, may we not forget your faithfulness, but may we go to the mountaintops and tell everyone about how faithful and great you've been. Lord, empower us, equip us to be better storytellers of your story and how your story changed our story forever. And Father, if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you, my prayer is that today would be the day that you would begin to write a new story in their life. That today would be the day that they would surrender their life to you believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so that they might be saved. And if that's you, if you're in this room right now and you've never given your life to the Lord, it's not hard, it's not difficult. It's simply inviting Jesus into your life. And I would just invite you right now to say, Jesus, would you come into my life today? Would you come and begin the process of making me new, of writing a new story in my life, a new chapter, an amazing chapter. Come, Jesus. I invite you to be my Lord and to be my Savior today.
that's you, just pray that. Just have a conversation with God. Lord Jesus, come. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new right here, right now. Come, Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, I just pray that we would not forget the importance of always thinking legacy. Help us to share God's story. Help us to live the Christian life for the generations that are coming up behind us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship, Tess is going to lead us in our song, our closing song. And as she does, uh, I want to invite you to come if you'd like to spend time in prayer. Um, This is our altar area. Our house is your house. Anybody's welcome. Come and spend time in prayer before before the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm on the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. There's people all around you. Uh, if you just want to come and grab someone and say, hey, would you come pray with me? I bet you they would. And uh, so let's spend time in prayer and spend time in worship as we take this idea and just let it marinate in our hearts and our minds, this idea of thinking legacy. Would you stand with me as we do that?